0: Welcome to the Rumpus Room.
1: Hey, everybody. How's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway Mister of the day.
0: So how to be interesting. We were uh, hanging out with some friends a little bit ago and some neighbors. And we were just talking about how there's a big difference in people that you want to hang out with. Some people just are more interesting and... I think what we talked about is some people just are better storytellers and are good at engaging people and getting you to tell stories to it. They're just more fun to hang out with. So we were just talking about how do you be a better storyteller? And it's really not like, I mean, it's not, you don't have to have these like crazy stories where you go and jumped off the Eiffel state tower and did skydiving. It's like, okay, what's a funny thing that happened to you? even like going to the grocery store and I don't know, like just, there's just like random things throughout the day that happen that are kind of like funny, but you can make them a little more entertaining. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're talking about some people are really good at storytelling and some people are not. And it's really sometimes just the energy people put into it, but storytelling is definitely a skill. And I think that's something that can translate really well into your work life. And also your personal life. And uh, so that's something we've been talking about. So I've been, I've actually took a class on writing a little bit ago and they talked a lot about storytelling frameworks and, you know, instead of, you know, the, the classic introduction of like, what do you do? There's a whole framework around how to answer that in a more effective manner. You know, like the introduction is a pretty big part of like a start of the discussion. So uh, I can even just give you the framework that the class gave me, um, so our listeners can not have to spend all this money on a <laughs> writing class.
1: Is it the Tolman uh, method?
0: What? What's that method?
1: Is it the? Uh, do you recall? Did you have Mrs. Brenning for advanced AP no, la- I didn't. language and composition? No, okay. Uh, well, you can start with yours, and then I'll go into it.
0: Okay. So, the the framework is most people, dot, dot, dot. So, like, let's just say you're a CFO. Most people don't know how to handle their finances from their business. So, I help CEOs. So, the next part is so, dot, dot, dot. I help CEOs manage all their money so they can be profitable and not worry about it. So it's just like a little quick thing. It's most people kind of like, you know, you're, you're changing their tune a little bit on this is what most people think. This is kind of you can either change it to be like most people think this and they're wrong. You know, there's just a d- number of different ways you can put your own spin on it. Then you add in. So that's why I do this. And then the benefits they get from it are this. So it's just like a quick framework. And it's better than like, oh, I run finance for the hospital, you know, or just like whatever your your thing is. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of the framework that I've actually used it in a couple meetings, and it works out pretty well.
1: Um. So once again, you you sort of do your, you say what you do, so that, um, and then is there a follow up? Mm -hmm. Yeah, is there a follow up to so that, or is it really about getting to the so that?
0: Uh, the bit so it's like a three part. It's most people, Mm -hmm. you know, do this, I do this so that and then you list like the exact benefit or the like headache you solve. Mm -hmm. So people can see what value you bring or the value you bring to them. That's like a big, a big part of the intro.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, But there's not a third step of like, you know, and this is why it matters to you. It's more just about sort of the explanation and getting to this so that like what you enable.
0: Yeah. And right? you know, and that, that, that third part should have you like, think about your audience and what, what would benefit them. So obviously try to tailor that a little bit more to your audience. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like if you're in a, bu- a, you know, a room of a bunch of hospital administrators and you're trying to sell consulting, you know, it's like, so that I help CFO so that they can, they can hit their annual goals and get their boss off their back. Mm-hmm. You know, that like would hit everybody kind of in the room type of thing.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, I know in terms of like the storytelling, I know plenty of people who do really crazy, interesting things and are just at absolute bore to listen to. And I know people who do extremely mundane basic things who are hilarious and fun to talk to. And so you can mm. make your life seem interesting. Going to the grocery store can seem interesting. Um, mm. But one of, the, one of the things that I think in order to be interesting that is required is uh, curiosity. Mm. Because typically to have an interesting story about going to the grocery store or something mundane you have to be a rather keen observer because interesting things don't jump out at you. You discover them, right? Like an interesting thing typically doesn't fall into your lap. There's usually like something that occurs and then you start picking at the layers and peeling them back. And then something interesting, at least that's sort of how I think those things occur for me. It's like, typically life is just absolutely a bore if you want it to be. Or Mm -hmm. if you take a few extra steps in terms of like exploring ideas, peeling back, just basically being curious. um, I feel like there's typically interesting things that can emerge out of life.
0: Yep. Well, When you think of the interesting people that you talk with, you know, and the, the first thing that came to my mind is Bill Burr, because you just want to know what is in his head mm-hmm. when he's going through a certain experience, because he has just a hilarious point of view, mm-hmm. and you you feel like you get to know him more, because you're like, oh, man, you have a, hilar- a funny way of looking at things, and you are angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just,
1: just an what angry it does,
0: guy. It does mm-hmm. have, like, a nice color to it. There's always a good color, and adding your own kind of personality to it is... I think is important.
1: Well, he has such a, he has got a deep level of self-awareness actually. So while he is watching himself have this absurd reaction, he's also making fun of the fact that he's having this absurd reaction. Yep. And it's, yeah, I, I, am a devout podcast listener of his. You are. I yeah. am. Monday morning podcast is uh pretty, pretty, I catch almost every episode. It's just such a funny thing for me anyway.
0: When do you so, listen to that podcast episode?
1: When I run to the gym.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. You it's listen like, to it on
1: 1.5? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and by the way, um, I I have tons of respect for Tim Ferriss, but I'm done with book recommendations from Tim Ferriss.
0: I'm done with Tim Ferriss overall.
1: You are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. I've moved on. I have tried to get into some of his book recommendations, and I just cannot. Uh, yeah,
0: I bought that Neil Gaiman book, and I couldn't. I can. It wasn't good for me.
1: Which is the Neil Gaiman one?
0: Uh, it was like I don't know. It's like the some midnight something. It's kind of like a fantasy book. But I bought it. I bought it on audiobook because that's what he recommended, and I did try listening to it. I'm like, this is boring, or I don't know. I just I couldn't get into it.
1: Yeah, I'm. He's like he spoke so highly of this book, like Trickster Meets the World or something, and I was like, oh great, I'll get into it. It just is. It's a. It's a bore. It's so. It's. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, there's there's some components that I like. Understand why he's attracted to these ideas, but it's just. I don't know. It, it's not for me. And so I just wanted everybody to know that I'm done with Tim Ferriss book recommendations. Well, the, the
0: Rumpus Room podcast is kind of done with Tim Ferriss. You know, one, one thing I do think is, you know, I have to give him credit. He's an early pioneer, I think, for the, the um, kind of the, the, the podcast and the interviewing people and being curious. But yeah. I, I think people are getting on to what he's doing and they're actually getting better than him at interviewing people. So I don't enjoy listening to him as much because I'm like, all right, Tim's going to go on his little rant here for 10 minutes. and
1: You know, yeah. I just... there's an interesting um, curiosity that he brings and he almost brings a part of himself to the discussion. Mm-hmm. Like he genuinely wants to know these things because it's something that he's struggling with in his life. And it's, Yeah, I think it's a fairly vulnerable and honest way to do an interview. It's also like, you have to be prepared to listen to like somebody else talk about their problems, you know, in terms of when you're trying to be in this episode of like, you're trying to get something out of it, you know? And and so he goes a particular direction and, and I have tons of respect for the man. So like, I'm not trying to shit on Tim Ferriss at all because uh, I do still listen to his podcasts, uh, not all the time, but I like pick and choose which ones, um, I think are, are the best, you know, interesting guests. Like I listened to the one about psychedelic research that we received from, uh, our father. I don't know if you listened to that one yet. I haven't yet. No, it's not worth it, but, um, (laughs) 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 I mean, it's interesting, but the long and short of it is psychedelic research is really effective and it's coming and, uh, here's ways that you can get involved, Right you know which
0: is like, cool you know it uh, is cool
1: and but, i i like his support for psychedelic research as well i happen to think that speaking off of uh, building off of our previous mental health episode i happen to think that psychedelics are going to be a huge part of the mental health system moving forward
0: i i think that's like the next technology in healthcare is that you mm-hmm. know like we, we think about technology as like certain things but i I really think that's going to be a technology is how do we use it to expand these experiences because really what you know we talk about the human condition if you have an experience that opens you up to seeing things in a different way like you you know if you like having a child you you are now opened up to like this whole repository of love that it's really hard to not like if you don't have one it's hard to experience that Mm So I think psychedelics are an interesting technology on opening it up. So I 100% agree.
1: Yeah. The only problem is, uh, psychedelics are one of those drugs. They're, they're sort of a one-time thing, right? So not very attractive, but to the pharmaceutical industry, which wants (laughs) you to be on the thing every day. (laughs) So they have that uphill battle of like not being addictive. That's going to inhibit their, Uptake by the establishment. Yeah. So well, we, and you know, we'll see.
0: We're, you know, we of course we had to hop on healthcare this quick. It only took us twelve minutes, but I know. Uh, jeez. But uh, you know, healthcare—it's a business. So I, I do think, though, there with the with the way mental health is going, I hope more people are open to this thing. And I think, you know, I give. I do give Tim credit for being such a big supporter of this because mm-hmm. it is such a, a powerful thing that it really benefits every single person. I think every single person can benefit from that, mm-hmm. from acknowledging mental health, taking it into effect. It's uh, no matter where you are in terms of the, I'm super comfortable with myself. I really think it'll benefit everybody. And this is just from personal experience. So,
1: so let's hit the uh, the Tolman method because uh, interesting anecdote about our high school experience. So if you're interested in um, a bang up education, we we had a we had a a, a terrific group of teachers uh, at the high school we went through. We very fortunate, I think, at least um, to have been exposed to great teachers. Uh, and I know there's the teacher union like um, Minneapolis schools are on strike or whatever, it's a really challenging job. And, um, I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm of the inclination that a job as important as teaching children should be like paid. I'm, I'm into the Finland model. And I understand that the Finland model is not going to happen. The Finland model is like, um, being a teacher, you're paid, Comparable to a lawyer, so imagine if a teacher made you know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year in the United States. Um, think about the caliber of human being who would be attracted to that role, and that's what they do in Finland. And it's like, it's not, it's not a fallback profession; it's something people strive to do. And I I just have tons of respect for that because educating young adult minds is a really critical thing for like you know the world and your country. And um, I I think that teachers don't get a lot of credit and even really good teachers are making huge concessions in their value to society, um, just because, you know, public school is really not rewarding teachers financially for the value I think that they bring in terms of, you know, Unlocking a young adult's mind and potential to learn and grow—I can—I can think of few more important things, to be honest. Yeah, I so, agree. I, I anyway, think,
0: I, I work with a lot of schools today, and I am so impressed with people that are are teaching and despite the pay. So, tons of credit to them. I know it's a really tough job, and they went through a pretty hard couple of. Couple years, so. Mm
1: -hmm. And did I tell you I'm running for office? (laughs) Just kidding. But um, uh, that uh, anyway. uh, So I'm gonna. One of my favorite teachers was uh, a woman named Missus Brenning, and she was a. I don't know. She never had children but everybody in the school always tried to guess how old she was she had to be in her 80s and um so old 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 woman and um really she didn't act like it. no she didn't a lot of spunk uh, we we spent um the first two or three months of our schooling reading packets on rhetoric And we would get into class and for the first half of the class, we would read packets of rhetoric and they were like these just big packets, 30 pages of some dry, the most dry thing you could ever imagine. And she would just call on different people and you would read it to the class and that's all we did. And then we would spend the latter 45 minutes writing and she would give us a prompt and we would write. Um, and then the most interesting thing that she would do is she would read the essays of people in the class and I am a competitive person and I liked having my essays read. I I wanted people to know because she would then inquire, she would like ask you, how did you get to here? And you were like, Oh, well, let me tell you about how smart I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want everybody. Yeah. That's so funny.
1: It was hilarious. And my buddies and I would keep tally, like, you know, obviously of like how many papers you've had, but read by Mrs. Brenning in class. So it was a lot of fun. And she, despite a
0: healthy way of doing it, that's a very, you know, I think about like the grades that can be like sometimes a little, uh, you got a D, you're a bad person, but this is like you're striving to for a positive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, it's a different way of uh, motivating some young, young punks like you and your buddies.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, then after we read these rhetoric packets, we just went straight into Shakespeare and that's all we did. We read Shakespeare and then, um, wrote. And then after that, uh, like that was the, that was the end of class and we had the language and composition test. And, um, she taught us this thing called the Tolman method, And it's a style for writing argumentative essays. And um, it was always this anomaly. Like she would say, this is what the Tolman method is. And she would explain what it is. And then my buddies and I would leave the class and we would go, God, what in the hell is the Tolman method? What the hell was she talking about? Hmm. And, And we never seemed to really understand because she was saying words that just like we're not landing for ours for our for whatever reason logically and we couldn't piece it together and a lot of us thought in the terms of, of math equations so you know math is much more cut and dry and that's like you know you have like regurgitation in public education which is everything except math right and then science is like a little bit of regurgitation with a little bit of math but that's about it. There's, there's not a lot of like anything else, you know? And so, um, the Tolman method, like one day she read one of my papers and, uh, she just was kept, she kept on going on about how beautifully it was constructed in the way of the Tolman method. And after class, all my buddies came over and were like, dude, what's the Tolman method. And I was like, I don't know. I have no idea. I cannot explain it. And it was this joke that we had for a while, but um, it was fun. It was so fun. And it took me a while to realize what the Tolman method is, but I'll I'll tell you, it's basically um, you state your claim or your thesis, and then you give evidence to support the claim. And then you explain why the evidence supports the claim that you made and it's that's it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it is rather simple, but for us, like we didn't realize that it was that simple. You know, we were thinking that there was some sort of equation or structure, but really all it is is claim evidence and why the evidence supports your claim. Mm. Um, and it's uh, it, it was we had such fond or I have such fond memories of like trying to discover this thing that, uh, you know, we, we, we didn't understand. And it was one of those things that just for whatever reason, like she unlocked an interest in an idea and a subject that um, we just had never had. English was always my most hated subject. I hated writing comprehension and reading and everything. And for whatever reason. Uh, so I'm I'm very grateful that that uh, I had that experience and and it was uh, it was such a fun fun thing and she's a really interesting woman so anyways enough of me being nostalgic well, you, about my...
0: just a picture so people can get a picture of what Mrs. branning looked like she was like small and wiry and picture an eight year old woman who had walked like five miles every single day of her life you know like yeah just she had looked... tons of energy. She came up to me, so I never had her in class, and she came up to me senior year and said, Sam, I've heard so much about you and I just wanna get to know you and shake your hand. And she just like then walked away. <laughs> it was just such a funny experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Cause she just, you know, it was very interesting. I never had, I never had a teacher do that to me before.
1: But. And her standards were so high. I mean, she, she just had a way of getting the best out of people and, uh, it was remarkable. Um, so anyway, uh, she was, she's one of those interesting people. And that was an interesting, uh, essay or experience that I had. One of my, my favorite, um, my favorite paper that I ever wrote was, uh, and I don't know if this is interesting at all. We can go into other topics if it's not, um.
0: Uh, what do
1: you mean? Uh, well, I'll, I'll finish the thought. Uh, basically, like uh, there was a a pastor who was talking about the wrath of God and comparing it to the ocean. And then I made this claim where I was like, oh, well, the ocean was a really big deal for people in the past when they were early settlers of the uh, colonial times, because you know a lot of people got swept up into the ocean and like if you if you didn't respect it and have reverence for it you would probably die and so he was making that claim to god and that that sunk really deep into the people of that time because they had such a huge relationship with the sea and she was like reading that segment of my essay and like shouting and standing on desks and like celebrating the idea and the connection and me being able to put myself in the people's shoes in the 1700s who are listening to this sermon. And it was like, it was honestly one of my proudest moments because of how big of it. And obviously you can, you know, I how many experiences do you remember vividly of your classroom education? That's one of them for me that sticks out. I don't know if there's any in your mind that you can recall um, that were of interest to share.
0: Not nothing that like, in terms of like specific learning experiences, I, you know, I have some from our AP Calc class, but nothing that really sticks out. Most of it is just like stupid, you know, like just thinking about like actual learning. I don't have a ton of really great examples. So it's fun to hear that you've got one.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's also just sort of the way that my mind works in terms of I remember punctuated experience, re- experiences really well, but I'm horrible with dates and names.
0: That's most people though. I think, you know, I've I've read this book that's called Moments and it talks about how to, it's these guys that talk about change management, Chip and Dan, I think it's Heath. And they, you try to basically create a moment because that's what people remember versus like stats or data. Mm -hmm. Like creating a moment like you had that experience of her jumping on the desk. And that's, that's like creating a moment. And that's very important to getting it basically lodged into your brain.
1: Yeah. Well, in in terms of creating a moment, um, I was having a dinner with a, a real estate guy. He does a lot uh, in terms of real estate development. And one of those um, eccentric real estate type people who uh, was just a terrific salesman and charismatic and intelligent and motivated and um i was really impressed by him and i wanted to basically like learn more about him and his approach and so i asked him after he had explained his business and um he i was like all right you know what's what's next what's next joffrey what's next for you and uh he took a breath sort of shrunk down in his chair a little bit and leaned forward and he's and he was like, you know, I'm just really looking forward to building my family and fin- getting this house finished and, you know, having this new sense of intimacy and space and place with my wife and my daughter. And <laughs> it was not the direction that I thought he was going. Is he still thought, trying to sell you? <laughs> I don't know. But it uh sounds like it to me. <laughs> oh but that's what i was amazed by because what i was expecting him to be like is oh you know i'm i'm looking at these properties i'm going this direction i'm going that direction i'm looking at these investors you know we were talking business so i thought he was going to continue to talk business and he went this family route and it just caught me off guard and then i was like wow he's good at getting you on his side Mm -hmm. you know and we weren't even talking about a specific thing right like We weren't, I wasn't saying I'm, I want you to represent me or whatever. He was just, he was just building rapport and it was impressive. Uh, And it was, uh, I was something, it was something that I was, I was aware of what he was doing. You know, I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, he's such a kind hearted guy. Like he is indeed a kind hearted guy, but also, you know, um, there's a persona, there's a persona that is being conveyed.
0: Yeah. And what, you know, so what I think he did a really good job of is he's selling the what the idea of a house to you. Like, I want you to, you know, like, the beauty of having a house is having a secure place where you, you know, you have your family. So he's helping with that message in his own life, I think, to sell you. I'm sure he's used that before. That's really a good. And, it, you know, it it's helpful to have somebody that understands that's what you want, too. You know, it's like, it's Mm -hmm. not the, that's truly, I think what people are looking, most people are looking for is a sense of security with the house. So I, he's, he's, it sounds like he's very good at his job. So I think you're And the last thing you want to, you know, like if somebody comes and says, Oh, you know what, I'm trying to make all this money, you know, it's like that's the last person (laughs) you want to represent you. Like I got this property. Mm. If I sell it, I'm going to make, you know, 200 grand and then I'm going to, but, you know, it's like, that's the, you just like sit there like, okay, sounds good. Yeah. That's the last thing I want to do is, you know, I would I just give you money? You know, it's like, it, mm-hmm. and then like, if, you know, you're giving him money, you know, I've been reading a lot about sales and trying to do it myself. So it's just interesting to see other people's strategies. There are a lot of really good salespeople out there. And I think it's a skill that every single person could benefit from.
1: He is a that's master a experience. Yeah. He's a master speaking of the master it's that time of year again folks when uh your your 55 year old male in your life is at his most vulnerable <laughs> this it's uh it's master season uh and so if if that tv's on and jim nance is talking he is one hole in one he's one chip in he's he's one save from the woods away from breaking down in tears
0: <laughs> yeah they so they pipe in like music they're really good at creating this emotional environment the birds that chirp are fake so when you listen to the masters you're going to on TV you're going to hear birds chirping it's fake so they're really creating these moments and they use specific language like you never hear them say spectators; they always say patrons. Mm-hmm. They actually correct the golfers when they say this in their interviews. You know, they do the like the the press conferences. Patrons sure. they don't like when people say the back nine; they try to say the second nine. And so they've. I've listened to a podcast with a former announcer who got fired from CBS and just went on a rant about all the stupid stuff that the masters makes you do. But it was basically saying this is how they create this really special event. Mm-hmm. They think about every little detail, which is impressive. And if you're a 55 year old male, they gotcha.
1: They gotcha.
0: They gotcha. They know how to spark the Oh, and it's Freddie Couples. He's the same age as you, so this could <laughs> yeah. be you out there. And if you were playing golf, we would support you with this type of energy. And all those young guys don't quite know how to relate. They <laughs> just hammer that message in. It's they, so cool to listen to.
1: they hammer the young amateur as well about life. Oh, yeah. It's just so great to see young people involved in the game of golf. He's a young amateur and you know we're really about investing in this sport it's about community and you know history and legacy and here's a picture of some old ass dudes at this course in the 1940s and this is happening in the war and you know like they just weave this web of emotional uh, stories that um, is it's it's touching I gotta say it is. It's touching.
0: Well, it's you can do up some here. really awesome things. Like you can't, you can't bring your cell phone. Nobody, If you watch TV, nobody is on their cell phone. So it's really annoying to watch the golf videos today when you see the spectators and every single one of them has a phone about two inches from their face videoing Tiger Woods or, you know, whoever's hitting. Um, they're two feet away from them, like just their camera stuck up on their phone. You don't see that. People are paying attention. And apparently it really adds to – the experience of the event. Uh, so they will confiscate your phone from you.
1: Prince uh, did the same thing. Uh, when he would do concerts at uh, Paisley Park, you would drop your phone in a little purple velvet bag and get it back at the end. Hmm. Comedians have been doing that as well. Dave Chappelle did that for his COVID, um, his COVID concerts. Yeah, the Masters is just... It's remarkable. The course is immaculate. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it's, it's just touching. There's, there's something about the way that they convey that message that just really connects, uh, with, I think golfers, particularly those guys who are going to go out and shoot, you know, high (laughs) nineties, low hundreds on a good day.
0: (laughs) Well, the, the reason why they do that is that if you've ever won, you have a forever invite to play it. So there's these really old guys that won it back in nineteen, you know, eighty and seventy and sixty and they're still playing. And that's they really try to create that. So then they, they all obviously play in the mm-hmm. master you know, then the, they do a story and if one of the one of the old guys makes the cut and plays the weekend, they do all the you know, Bernard Lager oh. shoots his age almost and they just go nuts and it's you know, it's pretty funny. <laughs>
1: Well, and then the green jacket. Talk about the best trophy mm-hmm. in all of sports.
0: Oh, man. It's way but, better than like a cup.
1: So much better. You look like a dope wearing a green jacket. But
0: Who has a green <laughs> You can't wear a green jacket to a wedding because you are going to be forever ridiculed by all of your cousins.
1: All of your friends are just going to ask you about that master's victory you had. What's up,
0: Tiger. But... You know, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> they've forever claimed the green jacket
1: nobody's wearing a green jacket anymore except for mr money monopoly you know whatever i once saw. i did see i once saw a guy wearing like a pretty green jacket but it it had a lot of trim and frills going on so it was differentiated from like a master's green but it it looks like you you just took a, a piece of sod and turned it into a a coat and that's really like, Oh, you you
0: took the felt from the pool table and made a, made a jacket. Nice. So yeah, it's not the best looking jacket, but it does have so much and they did a really great job. You just think of the, the marketing behind it, the history. So it's a pretty, pretty good event. And right now they are just pumping the tiger woods thing. And he's gone through so much in his life. And You know, they at one point kind of gave him like the, we don't condone, you know, like they gave him like what your dad would say about, like, if you got in trouble the next Mm -hmm. day, they kind of gave that speech about, you know, when he like, when Tiger got caught with all his. Sure.
1: They're distancing himself, themselves from the destruction.
0: Yep. So it's just really interesting to see how they. I'm always paying attention to how do they handle the controversy? Like Phil Mickelson, there's a huge controversy right now. And they, they handle is there, it very, what, is, what is it? So Phil, uh, so there's Vietnam this whole golf? thing that's happening in the PGA tour where Phil Mickelson and there's the Saudi golf league. So the Saudi, like the, the sovereign wealth fund, which is the, mm-hmm. the Prince they're basically trying to buy out all the pga tour players and run it like nascar so nascar wow. has teams and they're going to do a worldwide tour wow and so they're you know the best players play playing the pga tour so their whole goal they're, so they bumped the purses up by like you know millions of dollars so i think the highest purse on the pga tour is 21 million dollars a year mm-hmm. and in the saudi golf league that would be the lowest purse they think had like 16 events the lowest was 21 million and the highest is like 40 million. Wow. And instead of having a hundred or instead of having 50 people, 125 people, they only have 48. And then, open, Oh my you God. Know like, so you're guaranteed money. So it's just like, they are really trying to shake up golf. So Phil, uh, was this, there's a book that's coming out about him and this is all like, there's a lot of stuff going on.
1: Obviously but Phil is going to be the first guy to follow that cash.
0: Phil and if so, there's a book coming out that basically goes into Phil's whole background. Um, he's a degenerate gambler. He's made like billions of dollars and lost. I think he's broke right now. So Phil came out and had a quote that said, "I'm just trying to challenge the PGA Tour and leverage this Saudi golf league." So they leaked, or they they you know the book publishers put out that story at the same time, and so the PGA Tour is just obviously pissed off blackballing pg phil because the problem with the pga tour is let's just say all the good guys go over to the saudi golf league their product is done
1: exactly their product is it
0: so that's there's a whole ton of drama so phil this book's coming out so he was actually still invited to the masters but they said he decided not to come so i don't know what the real story is but the way they handled it was much different
1: well, the real story like, is that he got a bunch of money from the Saudi Golf League not to go. <laughs> <You know>? Well, <laughs> like,
0: there's some there's something going on with it. I mean, it's and that's it's,
1: that's speculative, but that's what happened, right?
0: Oh, big time, you know. And it's like money, the Saudi Golf. So then, of course, you know, the PGA Tour has taken a pretty interesting strategy. They are saying, "Are you don't support a tour that supports human rights abuses." Ooh. So they have taken a gut punch to them. Wow. And so. Of course, all the journalists, they did a good job of firing up these journalists because they're like, look at Saudi killed that Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know uh, how
1: to say that.
0: Jamal Khashoggi, Khashoggi, Khashoggi,
1: Khashoggi, Khashoggi. Khashoggi. Something like that. that.
0: Yeah. So they've really fired the journalists up. So now the journalists are on the PGA Tour side. And it's just interesting to watch the different dynamics around these leagues. And they're all creating these narratives. And everybody's all up in arms. So let's... Uh, It's very interesting and, of course, Phil's right in the middle
1: of it. Well, it's not all that unlike the um, Saudi and Middle Eastern impact on Formula One. They are buying their way into that thing big time, too. And like uh, Lewis Hamilton, you know, obviously made some tweets about not supporting human rights violations that are occurring in Saudi Arabia, but he's still there racing. And it's always kind of like. (laughs) <laughs> whatever dude you're still you know in the seat of the car so like you can chit chat all you want but um
0: yeah, do, you, do you do you you're you're playing ball money?
1: you're playing ball baby you know yeah. Like
0: <laughs> if the money hits the bank account do you give it back or not
1: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> until you take all of your receipts and donate it to a cause or whatever you know um yeah but, exactly um that's fascinating i find the uh uh, what they're doing with all of their money is is interesting in terms of how they're diversifying. I, I think the PGA Tour that that's a that's a fight to watch for the next couple of years here.
0: Oh man, does it have all all the journalists hot and bothered? They have something to talk about now. Mm-hmm. You know, golf's mm-hmm. kind of a boring sport. Kind you have of? to build all these narratives, and this is a narrative that's they're all just running. This is going to save.
1: Well, this is going to save golf because of the fact that Tiger is no longer in the mix. I mean, you can tell it whenever he's in the hunt. The announcers are pretty much pleasuring themselves for the entirety of the <laughs> <laughs> of the round because there's such a story. We we didn't do it justice in terms of talking about like the significance of him coming back and everybody. Oh, the injuries, and you can see the pain on his face, and he's such a competitor.
0: Oh blah, man, blah, blah. and it was like, it was between cutting his leg off and not and to yeah. see him out here is a true story of his character. Da, 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 da. You know like it they they hit that one so hardcore but yeah that that drum is almost done. So
1: they've, they've the been beating like? it for a while. Yeah, exactly. This is uh this is one of those stories that golf needs. It's almost like what uh the skiing industry needed in terms of the Icon Pass and the Epic Pass to make it more accessible to people to ski like um, be interesting to see if, if this type of storyline gets people into golf I know baseball just did an entire rules or a big rules overhaul to try and increase the uh, viewing potential of the game
0: <laughs> pitchers <laughs> are taking over last year so
1: yeah the are I, cheating. they're making a bigger ball or something I don't know like... <laughs>
0: They're going to make gonna... them throw underhand. Yeah, it's, <laughs> exactly <laughs> they're really trying to, you know, like the home run ball, the biggest time for baseball was the home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And they completely botched that steroid thing. And now you got Barry Bonds and, you know, it's just such a, it's interesting to, to think about these leagues. And another thing I wanted to mention is so PGA tour is, doing a Netflix documentary exactly like the formula One. Got to survive. What do you know? <laughs> they're doing the exact same thing.
1: Oh, they're taking the, uh, taking the playbook from, uh, from, F1, uh, baby. Yeah. They, you know, know, um, the gentleman who took over chase Carey, he's the new F one like boss. He's a, um, he's an American. Uh, so if that doesn't tell you, you know, what market they're trying to break into um and i believe he came from either comcast or disney and so it's Damn. like oh man talk about somebody who knows how to package and commercialize an event do you, do you see and the I, new
0: event in vegas
1: yep i want to go to it
0: dude of course oh, i want to go to it
1: how fun would that be it'd be f1 in uh in vegas it's or, down the strip or miami it's down it's the down strip. the strip really yeah watch the, oh the, the, my it's... gosh
0: the the course goes around this goes through the strip
1: that is nuts
0: it's insane so of course like listen to us we're too giddy like two little schoolboys like it sounds I like know. fun
1: uh, i can't even imagine how expensive those tickets are oh my gosh hey maybe we'll have a conference down there we'll do a rumpus from podcast down there what do you say i think you i get think some we're interviews
0: podcast to do a live show <laughs> Live from the f1 we might need to start applying for a media badge.
1: We should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, tales from the back of the grid. We'll talk. to
0: <laughs> Our listenership has been going up. So thank you to all the listeners. We appreciate all your support. Our, our uh, listenership's been up.
1: Yeah. I think we could. Uh, I'd love to get somebody, one of the drivers on the show. We'll see. We're going to have to build a uh, pretty strong audience by the time. Do you know what time of the year it is?
0: no i don't
1: i should and it's also one of those things that like i wonder if they're going to run at night because it's so hot during the day the tracks get so hot yeah
0: Yeah. that's so they
1: may run at night which would also be pretty wild to see vegas all the lights f1 flying through man
0: is tokyo at night too what's the one that they do at night
1: um most of the middle eastern ones are actually at night because it's so hot so um I think, uh, Saudi Arabia, um, they definitely, I think Singapore is that night. Oh, the Singapore uh, one.
0: that's what I was thinking about. Yeah.
1: Qatar, Qatar is, uh, any, whenever they're in a really hot space, basically they have to run at night just because everything is too, too, too offensive. I actually saw a picture of the world cup, a, uh, soccer field because I believe the World Cup is in Saudi Arabia
0: Qatar or
1: Qatar Qatar yep um and they have giant air conditioning vents shooting out onto the field oh my gosh I'm not kidding it looks like jet engines periodically at the base of the uh, stadium and they're just gonna slam cold air through
0: those wimps.
1: Isn't that crazy? <laughs> well, can you imagine? Uh, you know, one hundred and twenty degree. No, you know, be a, day. Be, it's dangerous.
0: It, it is. Well, that you know.
1: That's why they the, got AC. The Danish
0: guy had a heart attack because he had the COVID vaccine. I mean, because <laughs> he was. That's uh, that's I can see that could be a mess, and the US is in it for the first time in a long time. All right, the boys made Go it. US. They made it. The German Positive. guy is out. He was a he was an inside job from Germany to try to keep the U.S. away.
1: Jurgen Klinsmann. Jurgen was an eno-
0: inside job.
1: Had enough of Jurgen. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, there's there are a few uh, American dudes who play over in Europe now. So um, yeah. I do believe that the 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 football is uh, increasing in popularity. I I think the play. U.S. Yeah, soccer obviously. The uh, um, also you know the concussion thing is going to be a big impact. So soccer is going to rise in popularity.
0: Yeah, and like the MLS is getting more and more. You know, once we now have our own professional league too, it's a better development. You know, like I think all those things are helping us with our mm-hmm. development of players.
1: Mm-hmm. So if you can't tell, April's a great time for sports. April is a
0: sport haven. <laughs> You, know, you got the final four that just happened, which what a final four that was. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. talked about that last week a little bit in our episode. Uh, is the Blue Bloods. The Blue mm-hmm. Bloods prevailed this year. So I, I didn't look at viewership, but I believe it was as high as it's ever been.
1: Mm. So, that's what they people, want.
0: People come out to, everybody says they want the Cinderella, but that's not how the, uh, that's not how the ratings go. And then you got the Masters. Which is every uh, every fifty five plus year old's dream. I mm-hmm. I will admit, when Tiger won, I shed a tear. I was watching it with one of my buddies <laughs> from high school, and they did such a good job; they just pulled my heartstrings out. I went all the way. I had a Tiger Woods poster in my room when he won when he was younger. So man, did that just gave me a gut punch. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's the uh, I think that's the Monday play for for talk is. Uh, is the, uh, the emotional response to the masters. Uh, I think that's going to be a hot, hot item. If, if, if there's a story, I'm going to, I'm going to try and weave that into my, uh, my lightening of the mood. I've realized that I have a little bit of a Darth Vader presence and,
0: uh, I wonder why that
1: is. (laughs) I'm trying to, I'm trying to be a bit, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to have people, not afraid to be on a call with me because I've sensed some people who are just like really, really timid. And I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> exactly on zoom, no camera, just, <laughs> just hearing me breathe. <laughs> anyway, so trying to lighten the mood. Uh, and, um, I, I said, I'd give that the Ukraine take. So in our last few minutes here, I'll, how about this? Um, so was chatting with a family friend of ours and uh, she was hanging out with this woman from Lithuania, not Ukraine, but still sort of Eastern Bloc. Um, and her take on the Ukrainian situation was very fascinating. Hmm. So apparently when asked this woman, her name is Vita, When Vita was asked about her opinion on the Ukraine situation, she responded with, Oh, it's always been this way. There's nothing different. I don't know why the Western media has blown this so out of of proportion. This has been happening for the last 20 years. This is nothing new.
0: Oh, well, looks like our take from last week was reinforced.
1: How about that?
0: Bada bing. If you hadn't heard our take from last week, you should go dive in and see what we have to say. Man, that's interesting.
1: Isn't it? Um and so I I have paid attention to some of the changes in the past, you know, in terms of the annexation of Crimea and all of that stuff. Uh I I believe this is perhaps a an increase in the intensity, but still to hear the take of like all of the sudden, I don't know why the American media now is giving this so much attention because it's been happening for the last 20 years basically um mm-hmm. and it's and it's a part of Putin's belief to take Russia back to the size it was during Catherine the Great because Russia is the smallest that it's ever been right now uh
0: i've heard i've heard that take of him being trying to take it back to the uh old soviet union too
1: mhm so we'll see have it, folks so enough weekend speculation for you, but, uh, go, go watch the masters. Keep, keep the tissues on, on hand. And, uh, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week. We'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.